Hey, man. Hey, what's going on? Oh, you know, just another week. Uh, another week in paradise. <laughs> yeah. Well, nothing's this, getting better. Uh, everything's a, going better. COVID's a, going back up. Um, we had an yeah. African dust takeover here um, that we couldn't go outside for a day. It's just like, it's just like mm-hmm. all straight out of, I believe, the movie The Mummy. Okay. Is where this is all coming <laughs> from. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know what the hell's going on. I just want to, you know, go live in a little hut somewhere inside of a mountain with some goats. Yeah. That sounds pretty good, actually. I kind of already do that. Um, so who, who's our guest again this week? Quincy Harris. Okay. Q. Okay. Uh, Q Q is, um, how would I put it? You know how New York City's got like the breakfast club, or like um, when I was growing up, you listened to Hot 97 with Ed Lover, Dr. Dre. Yep, I mean, yep. Q is like in Philly, he has broken rappers, not broken, like uh, helped rappers' careers. Mm-hmm. Um, he does, it's not just rappers, I mean, he interviews anybody, like Kevin Hart to, you know, um, senators and this and that. He's a TV personality for big, huge radio show. But, you know, he, I think for a long time was he's kind of like knows everything about hip hop. And I think for a while he was, um, he kind of would, a lot of artists would kind of get a big break on his show. Um, and he's just, uh, an incredible, incredible human and an amazing, um, TV host. And he's, you'll see, he's, he's, we'll, we'll talk forever with Q. Okay. Well, let's get to it. I right, can't, I can't wait. This is no politics at the dinner table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Ahmed Prakash. And straight from the city of brotherly love and home of the Eagles, go Birds, we've got Quincy Harris, who's an amazing TV host and uh, radio personality. Thank you. What's up? Thanks for joining us, man. You guys have like real soothing voices. You sound, it sounds like a, it's, you have po- podcast voice, voice. I don't do, you guys have lessons for that? I, I'll tell you this. That's the first time anyone has said that about me, but I have heard about Ahmed. Ahmed's got like an NPR voice. Do I really? Yeah. Yes. But yeah. It's, it's very NPR-ish. I didn't want to, I didn't know if we could, I didn't know if you guys were warring with NPR, but no, yeah, no, I didn't want to say names of different places that are, yeah. So. We plan to take them over eventually. So, Q, um, thanks for coming on. I um, thanks for having me. Let me just tell everybody our, you know, Q and I have been working together on different things for, God, a couple years now. Yeah, it's been two, three, about yeah, two I would years. Say, yeah, two, probably two? two, maybe a little more. Yeah, um, I met Q through a mutual friend that I work with, um, and we have similar interests in just doing and making better content. Um, yes. Q, Q, why don't why don't you tell everybody your background a little bit? Okay, uh, I started in radio in 1997. Did radio in Philadelphia from Philadelphia. Did radio when I was in school at the local hip hop station. Uh, did that for about 10 years. While doing that, I worked with this lady. I don't know if you know her, named Wendy Williams. Um, I had a hip hop show. Her. Yeah, she's she's she does she does well for herself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I had a hip hop show that was really important uh, with a legendary DJ from Philadelphia. His name's Cosmic Kev, and we would we would bring new artists 
on our show. So before these guys were like, or huge acts, people like the such names as like Kanye West, uh, 50 Cent, Fabulous, countless others would come on our show and before they were big. And then when I worked on the morning show with Wendy Williams, they were like, oh man, you, you, you were the guy that cared about me when no one else did. So that kind of formed a lot of relationships there. Stayed there for about 10 years, moved to LA. I worked with another legendary uh, radio host who's getting his star on the Walk of Fame next year, uh, Big Boy, and I learned so much from him. Worked with him for about four and a half years. Produced a movie that Big Boy executive produced out there, independent film. Came back to Philly, did radio, felt like I was getting too old, segued into TV, <laughs> and I have a television show that we've done 694 episodes in three and a half years a talk show called The Q, uh, and I'm tired. So yeah, that, <laughs> that's a lot. That's pretty much, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. That's the last 23 years. Wow. All right, well, I, I already have a ton of questions, but but I, I want to start with the current moment. And since you have been working basically with music, right, and, and sort of artists for a long time, in this current political moment, what do you think is the role, if any, of the artist or the musician. Let me just frame that by, I'm sure we here probably saw it, or at least heard about it, Dave Chappelle's 8 Minutes 46 Seconds, which was excellent. And um, in that, he, he responds to Don Lemon of CNN sort of call out that there should be a greater voice of, of black artists and celebrities to you know state their position and so on. And he responded that the streets are talking, not time for him to talk. So I was just wondering, what do you think about you know musicians, the role yeah. of music in this moment? Uh, great question. I think for me, even with Dave Chappelle saying he shouldn't talk, he was talking, right? right? right. So, so it was in this moment when this happened, I was over at a friend's house and I said, there are two people I want to hear from uh, during this time. Uh, one being Dave Chappelle and the second being Kendrick Lamar. Uh, Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly came out, I believe, in 2015, and it really talks about everything that we're going through right now. And I will say, the day that Kendrick Lamar dropped um, the first single to that album, I was in Los Angeles, and I was at a famous rapper's house, and he asked me, I won't say his name, he asked me, he said, what do you think about the song that Kendrick came out with? And I was like, I think it's brilliant. And he was like, man, I think it's just a little bit too political. And I was like, really? And I was like, no, I think it's needed. And it's, it's kind of weird, you know, talking to somebody who's hugely successful in their home. And they were, you know, we were just, I just happened to be there. And, um, but you, we needed that. We needed that voice. And a lot, a lot of times people need to hear, especially in the black community, we need to hear our celebrities or we need to hear our voice being echoed and the frustrations of the people being echoed. And a lot of times artists, they put it in such an articulate way that you're like, See, I, I, that's what I felt, what he just said, right? So uh, even with Dave Chappelle coming out with the eight minutes and was it eight minutes, eight minutes, 46, 46 seconds, yep. it was, that was needed. The frustration that he I I expressed was exactly how I felt at that time. So I feel like artists, have a, if they feel it, don't do it if, to be forced, but we need to hear from our artists. We need to hear uh, 
the brilliant way that they articulate, you know, the pain of the people. I think we, I think it's needed. Uh, let me jump in and say from some artists. So I don't yes, really care everybody. what Taylor Swift had to say about this right now, <laughs> as much as I like Taylor. But um, there's something I'm seeing where it also feels like um, I think a lot of the artists have wanted maybe to do this, but have been too afraid to because, you know, it's like it's like to shut up and play basketball. Um, Laura Ingram went to LeBron James a few years back. Yeah. Um, in, in the specific culture where there is cancel culture, it does work a little bit both ways where you could take it, you could receive a ton of, of bad press if you step out of your, your fake lane. So I'm seeing a lot of artists that um, we all like that are starting to uh, very easily um, put some of the political movement into their work. And it's not that they're trying, it's that I think they've always wanted to do it, but you know, the reaction to it's a little too political is something I think there's an insecurity because of social media and how quickly you can get taken down. Yeah. It, because Tupac was not afraid to, to say any of this stuff. I mean, if you watch old Tupac videos on YouTube from the early nineties, he was saying all, all of this stuff and yeah. unapologetically. And I mean, even from a Tupac perspective, he, he came from like his, his mother was part of the black Panther uh, party he was very intellectual, you know, he, he was very cultured. Um, and uh, for some artists, it takes them later on in life to kind of feel like, oh, oh, okay, I can talk about this stuff because they've experienced it. A lot of, you know, I mean, Tupac at 15 years old was way more poetic and way more talented than a lot of artists that we see today. So, um, yeah, I don't want to see, like you said, Tony, I don't want to see it from everybody, but... <laughs> you know, but I, I have a, a bunch of names in my head, but yeah, I will yeah. not say them. I'll but, say them for you. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it, again, Kendrick Lamar, uh, Black Thought. I love what Black Thought did on uh, The Roots Picnic, which was on uh, aired on YouTube because of everything that's going on. I, but yeah, I, I think we need, you know, people have to, you have to step up. The right people have to step up and speak for the, you know, for the voiceless. I'm actually surprised to hear that... Um the artist that she'll go nameless whose house you're at uh said said that you know it's too political or so on because i mean you know this way better than than us yeah but in you know i grew up um i'm actually i actually grew up the first place i lived in america was west philadelphia wow uh, yeah uh, i came here when i was six lived on 49th and cedar in the early 80s and so i've been listening to hip-hop since then basically um and if anything there's, I mean, there's various through lines in themes that I've heard, and one of them is always police violence. <laughs> like, like yeah. I mean, KRS-One. I mean, there, there's, there's, there's so much. You could, you could actually teach the lyrics of the sound of the police, and that would be a pretty good, in a nutshell, history of policing in America. Yeah. Right. Um, so, what, I mean, what do you think is driving the there's sort of divide between people who want to be popular and heard and so on and commercially successful. Um, and then also being sort of what's sometimes branded as like conscious rap and so on. Um, that that's, that's openly political and sort of engaged. Like how, how do, can that be married? And, and Kendrick Lamar obviously can do it, but can others or? Yeah. I think it has to be you, right? I, I think, uh, you know, you have a lot of people, use hip hop as a hustle like man I'm trying to get out I'm trying to get out I'm gonna get my money I'm gonna 
collect, especially now, like especially now, it's you don't ha you don't need radio play. You can come out with a, a mixtape. It can be you know underground successful. You can go around the country and do a, a, a show for thirty thousand dollars. Do an after party for fifteen. You're making ninety thousand one eighty per weekend. This is I'm talking about low end, right? Yeah. Wow. So. You know, some artists are like, man, I gotta, I gotta make my money. Um, other artists, again, Kendrick Lamar is a once in a lifetime artist. Like this, that dude is not. He's once, once in a, a generation. Meek Mill, he's become more political because, as you can see, I, Meek gave me, and I'm not name dropping, but he called me when he was going through his problem with his judge. Right? He's like, can you please come to the courtroom? Literally, he said, can you please come to the courtroom and see what is happening to me? So I go to the court and I'm like, I, like he, he did a video, a music video, and it had like a fake gun, right? It had like the orange tip and he took a picture on Instagram and they, they were like, this is violating his parole. And I'm like, it was insanity. It was literally insanity, some of the stuff that was going on, but because it was just, that's what it was. You, you were used to that. Like that, I, I know that story a million times over, right? And I'm not saying the justice system is all bad. I'm not saying all police officers are bad. I'm not saying all judges are bad. I'm not saying all DAs are bad. I'm just saying, I know more stories of what happened to Meek Mill than I do him getting a fair shake. So you can see in Meek's music and in like even in his efforts, he's been able to change things because he's had great relationships with uh, somebody like Michael Rubin, who's a part owner of the Sixers, who's a billionaire. And then that billionaire knows Robert Kraft, who just happens to be the owner of one of the greatest winning football teams of all time. And then he comes and rallies for him. And then he's managed by Jay-Z, who's another billionaire. Like, People don't get that kind of access. So you see that you see that through the music and other artists, you just see, oh, he just got locked up and he did something wrong and that was just over. But a lot of times that's not the case. So I think with what you're saying, yeah, it can be married, but then it, you, people are literally just speaking from their their true uh, their their true background and their true experiences. But and remember, Meek Mills wasn't a nobody. No. No. He was already a, a, a relevant rapper, but when artist, he got, and he got, you know, but had, when he got had no power. Yeah, when he got caught up in the system, he was relatively new. Mm -hmm. It was like he got this shot, and then as he he grew, the, <laughs> allegedly, I you know, I don't want to come on the judge, but it's like he got another six or seven years of probation. It was like, how will he ever get out of this thing? Like it was little. It looked it looked really bleak of him even being able to get out of, I think it was, it was something like 12, he was on probation for 12 years for something that happened when he was 18 and he was still dealing with it up until he's 30 years old. Just insanity. But that happens all the time. I had a friend who, who went to jail and he was telling, good guy, he was telling me, man, you should hear how these, these uh, public defenders are like selling these guys up the river. It was like, hey, um, we got 15 to 20 for you. And he's like, dude, I didn't do it. I swear to you, this is, I went to go visit my boy in jail. He says this, hey, 15 to 20 years. He's like, dude, I didn't do it. All right, I'll be right back. Comes back like an hour later. Okay, this is the best thing I can do for you. 10 to 15. He's like, dude, I did not do it. 
Comes back. This is my third offer. Like, third and final offer. Like, deal or no deal. Five to ten. He's like, all right, man. I, got, I guess I got to take the five to ten. Like, what? Could you imagine? Imagine, like, you're innocent, and they're just like, uh. It went from 15 to 20 to, like, all right, now you're doing five years on something that you, you claim that you're innocent on. Where did, what happened to that 10 to, other, 10 to 15 other years? It's insanity. That what's was, happening? Um, what's his name, Ahmed, from, um, from Rikers, who was in for three years for the alleged backpack stealing? Uh, yeah, that was like the saddest uh, story his on name? Earth. Oh, oh my God. And he wouldn't, that, that's what they're trying to do. They were like, just, we'll do a plea. And he was like, I didn't do it. Yeah. And his morals were just, he couldn't do it. So he stayed in Rikers without a trial for, yeah, for three years. Three years. Oh, for, oh, man, I see his face. That's not Khalif Brown, is it? Yes. Khalif Browder. Khalif yes. Browder. Yes, Khalif Browder. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I Horrible. mean, that is heartbreaking. But yeah, this is these are your options. It's like you didn't do it. So you can do five years or 10 years. And, and what kind of decision is that? Horrible. It is. It is very. I mean, and this has been going on for forever. Like, it, yeah. I think what George Floyd and I just saw an interview with Mark Lamont Hill. He was uh, was the, the conservative african-american girl that was was oh, going yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, right. oh my gosh i just watched this interview but you know he was just saying to her like we're we're not george floyd literally just broke the levees on the suppression of everything african-americans had to deal with in america like again i feel the stress right like it's just it's certain things that i've had to lug around i'm again college educated never been arrested you know two family uh two parent household but there are certain things when i go out into the world that i just have to prepare myself for or when i'm in certain environments that i have to like you know my kids right my kids are named jordan kobe and wade right and i've had white people say to me when my my wife was pregnant with a third uh, so are you, you going to name your, uh, if it's a girl, Shakarazan? I'm like, yo. And I have to go like, but I know, I know a white person that has three sons and she's named her kids after athletes, but it's okay. I'm, I'm not saying that as a, as an excuse, like, oh, just to make a point. Like I know a lady that has three sons and she's named them after less popular sports athletes and nobody says anything to her it's okay but for me it's like oh you're going to do Shakira's on you're going to do LeBron are you going to do it's like dog yeah those are names I like but it's just the difference that you see the comparisons that you see are very just that small but it weighs on you every step and everywhere you go so much pressure I, I know I know many people in Philly whose kids are named Donovan or Cole yeah, and, and you know the two players, you know that's, that's, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're dogs. Like I yeah. mean, this is this is a, a Philly. It's a sports town. There, yep. There's it's it's not weird at all. I mean, it's, yeah. And and also, who gives a shit what you name your kids after? You yep. know, but that's but that's one of those things where it's a an assumption and a, it's almost like a hidden joke in there, right? Yes. That that it's that that it's not funny. Like that like. What I've found over the years, and I think it's probably from working with comedians, is that a lot of people, they they defer to trying to make a joke. And if you hang around comedians, comedians hate that. 
You yeah. know, like when, when when you're at the table and someone just makes a joke and you're like, I don't get the joke or what, what was why was that your instinct? Yeah, that drives comedians crazy. So when you work around comedians, you get a little insecure about that and you stop doing it. But you start to see it a lot more and you're like, oh, my God, that's people's natural. When people are uncomfortable, they make a joke. Yep. And it's not a joke. It's actually a revealing thing about um, something within. And yeah. when you start thinking about what you just said, you can analyze why did I why did I have to make a joke right there? Like what why was I uncomfortable that I had to make a joke or say something or yeah. just, you know it's what I mean? All, it's also the 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 presumption that it's okay, right? Right. So, so I I would modify what you said, Tony. Um, I think everybody judges other kids' names all the time, but we don't say it out loud. <laughs> you know, the, the idea of, of actually putting that on somebody is like if I name is, my kid Gertrude, very presumptuous. It's like, oh, I can say go. that to you. I yes. can say that to you, right? Yes. Because, you know, because of this, this sort of situation here. Um, most people would never do that. But in this situation, there's a level of actually really glib comfort in, 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 in putting down whatever, because it is kind of a put down. You know, yes, so. yes. And then on the other side of that, you know, I've been in other areas where I had to really double check and I, I had to watch what I said. Like, I have to watch what I say. I have to watch my aggression. I got to like all types of stuff. I've been called. I've, I've had to tell somebody something. And then it's gotten back to me that, oh, Q is acting street towards me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> street? Do you know when they call me on the street? Like I'm the nicest guy in the street. In the street. So it's like what? Like I'm no. I just said how I felt, and I, I was I was telling you how I felt, and I was not. I, my answer was no, and I wanted things to be changed or whatever it was, and that that was perceived street. But somebody else that would have said it. It's just like that subtle. The subtleties of of just. And I'm not talking about police brutality. I'm not talking about. Just any of that stuff. I'm just talking about operating in in a place where I'm there aren't a lot of black people. Right. And it's 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 been frustrating. So the George Floyd uh murder literally was like, Okay, all right, I can't I'm not I can't deal with this anymore. Well this is one you of know? those things too where I think I think Probably because of technology, which I struggle with. Like, I struggle with social media. Uh. I struggle with, you know, I hate it, but I'm also like, you know, am I going to go be the social media hermit and just miss out on a lot of stuff? Um, but you're, you're all that. This is really this movement to me is it's one um, black people. The straw has bro broken the back, right? It's yeah. It's not happening anymore, but the way to really look at it is it's also a, a, a white um, reckoning with yourself and that we're programmed, right? We are programmed because of the way we're taught. We're programmed because of what's not taught from the, from, the, from the day this country formed to 200 years, 300, 400 years before it was, it was the United States. Um, and it's very glossy and it's very specific. And you don't realize that as a white person being born into this country, you are programmed and it takes uh, a level of security to say, I have some hidden biases that I did. I wasn't even aware of. Um, if you drive through a black neighborhood in Philadelphia, do you lock your doors? Cause we grew up locking our doors. 
And no. I didn't look at it as like a racist thing. It was that you lock your doors in these neighborhoods. I, we never did that in the white neighborhood. Yep. Um, that's a bias, right? There's nothing different about that neighborhood, but these little things that add up are part of why, why you're seeing the rebellion that's like, we don't want to be looked at like that anymore, yeah. right? Like you're listening to our music, you're stealing our culture, you take the good things, but then you don't want to do the self-examination to reckon with the bad things that you believe about us. And I think that is really the more 360 way to kind of look at what's going on right now. Because what, what the lens that it's to me in the media is through the lens of what black people aren't taking anymore, right? Or the white woke people, which for sure. But there is also just the subtle um ways we can all just analyze our lives and go do i have some biases because we all do yes um and it's okay to it's a, there's one there's one thing with saying i have a bias and then saying i use racial slurs i mean you're a racist but there's <laughs> there's some subtle there's some subtle um biases we have and it's okay to admit that because that's how you progress is being secure enough to admit them yes no i i have so many things to say but you know uh Man, how can I put this? I, I can't. I just can't. I can't. Man, I'm. I have certain affiliations that I, I can't say. But I'll, I'll. I'll say this. I think I've been around enough um, people and, and white people to know that. Just let's just say media. Let's just say media, right? That we need more. We need diversity where 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 the decisions are being made right because a lot of times like you said um for me for me in order for me to gain success in america i have to deal with white people right at a certain point like you have to in media let's just say media i'm not going to say if you do whatever i'm just going to say from my sheer experience but but i would say it's everything but for right years, let's do it yes right i'll so, say it 100 right so you you have to deal with you got to deal with white people. You you have to deal with other people, and usually those are the people that either are the sponsors of your show. If you do a predominantly black show, you have to. If it's the higher up executives in radio, if it's the higher up executives in television, you have to deal and learn how to deal and speak with people who are not black, who are white. If you're white that's not always the case, right? So you can live in your bubble of, I don't really have to deal with those people for the level of success that I would like to reach. And when you see that, you're like, whoa, I'm the first black person you've ever talked to? Wow, you're past 29, you're past 30. like. You've never had a, you've never sat and had a conversation with a black, a black, like I've had to talk to other people in order for me to even get to this level of success. It's just, we need more diversity where decisions are being made. Like I'm seeing some ridiculous things going on right now. Like uh, the voice of Cleveland on the Cleveland show is stepping down. Oh, okay. Uh, the voice of, you know, this other person is like, I'm, I'm white and I'm doing this black voice on a cartoon. I can care less about that. I'm more concerned about the people that are making the decisions to put Cleveland on as a show or cancel the show because they don't understand it. 
I want diversity in that room. I can care less if, <laughs> if Cleveland is a white guy's voice or, you know, they take out all the black Skittles. And I don't care about any of that. I want real change. Real change. So, yeah, what you're talking about seems, I mean, it's, it's of a piece with everything else that's going on, right? So if the, if the, if I can, I guess the gatekeepers, right? The gatekeepers of the media industry that if, if there is more diversity in those upper echelons that there could be, it's not all style. It'll be substance, right? Like that, that that's, that's, that'll happen. Yeah. Um, do you, I was wondering, what do you think about in the local situation in Philly? Um, so is it Krasner? Is it Larry Krasner? Larry Krasner, the, the, yeah, the DA. Yeah, who's, who's the new like progressive DA who used to be a public defender, um, and he's uh, shaking things up, and he's part of a, a kind of a national wave of at least, of, at least they're not always elected, but they're running now uh, to sort of reform, or reform this stuff. Do you see what he's doing in Philly as um, uh, sort of useful, has real ramifications, um, and, and importantly, how are the police responding to him? Okay, one, I'm not a police officer, so it would be hard for me to say that. I, I've seen uh, throughout the last two years that he's, he's done some things. I know he was very instrumental in the Meek Mill case. Um, but I will tell you this. In Philadelphia, for, for I would like to see, and, and again, I applaud Larry Krasner and others like him, I would like to see them give more, more uh, access and more money to the Philadelphia uh, school district, right? Because it all starts there, right? Again, systemic racism. Your education is based off of your property tax. So if I live in North Philadelphia, my property tax are, I don't know, I'm just guessing, $1,000 a year. And then if you live where Kobe Bryant grew up in Lower Marion, and it's like 6000 or 7000 or $10,000, $12,000 a year, and your public school system is very different from the public school system in Philadelphia, that's the issue. Like, I, I want to see that kind of change because our kids and our babies can't have the same access to information than, the, than others, right? So then that's the, it's the subtleties. Um, again, I, I did a report one time. It was like National Kindergarten Day, and I go into a kindergarten classroom in Philadelphia, in West Philadelphia, and it was 48 kids in a kindergarten class. Mm -hmm. I had 35 when I was in there. Yeah. How, how do you learn? How, like, I can literally get, I can just hide. It was one teacher and a teaching assistant that was there half, half the day. Right. So how do, how do my kids never ever have to meet Larry Krasner or sit, you know, be a fate in his office. Right. And their names never go across his desk. Hopefully is if you start with the education, Right. We, we need a better way for education. We need a better way for access to opportunities. But that all starts when you're younger. Right. So I, I just think, again, I, I applaud him. But I like I, 48 kids in the classroom or, you know, we have a pandemic and we can't get, you know, laptops home. Some homes may not have, you know, um, Internet. Like these are the type of things some homes are some of these places are in food deserts where people are living below poverty. 
it's like, look, how can we fix that, those type of problems, um, and get to the root of it versus just, you know, before it even gets to, you know, Larry Krasner or the DA or, you know, you know, any or assistant DA or any, any of these uh, other people. Yeah, I, I have a very cynical view on this. I mean, I, th- I, I mean, I, it's obviously we know from the what the historians have shown is that this is all planned, right? That that this is this is a, a, a strategy uh, yeah. to create a, 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 an attempted permanent underclass, um, and that's racialized because we're in America, of course. And and one of the things that I don't know that that I would say is I'm I'm a I'm a teacher and I, I, I teach history, and one of the things that they don't teach, and what sort of always goes away first is like social studies education and history, and I think that's part of the plan, because mm-hmm. the more nuanced and better the history you know and you learn, the more radicalized you can become. Oh my gosh. Right, so, and and the 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 point here is that is that yes, of course, in the school that's let's just work with North of Philly versus Lower Maryland or the, or the whole main line, mm-hmm. um, that you know, yeah, the one thousand versus seven thousand or whatever for property taxes. What in history education? Of course, that's going to be a better history education, right? Yeah. But that better history education would be dangerous in North Philly. It Listen. would produce a certain type of rebellious <laughs> consciousness. I'm looking that, for the book. Yeah. <laughs> I just so. Yeah. So I have a I, I'm reading this Frederick Douglass book, right? 700 yeah. pages. It's like Prophet of Freedom. And I just started reading it during the pandemic. And some of the things that I'm learning in this book, I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. My ignorant mind, I was like, man, Frederick Douglass, he was a slave, runaway slave. I'm thinking he was like in Alabama. I'm thinking he was in Florida. No, this guy was, he was in Maryland. He was in Maryland Eastern Shore, right? And then he comes to Baltimore and he's seeing slaves and then he's seeing like free black people. And then what he says is he had to go back to the Maryland Eastern Shore for, you know, a year, year and a half. But he was so mad because the things that he learned and he saw in Baltimore, he couldn't unlearn. He couldn't unsee those things. And to your point, again, if we get the right information and and the right education, it's a bunch of stuff you wouldn't stand for, right? You were like, no, I'm not. Listen, I can make it. You know why I can make it? Because Frederick Douglass had to like sneak out of his house and like sneak to read, right? So then that would put more of a, a log in my fire if I'm a 14 or 13 year old like oh I have to make it because then I have to extend the life because the people that were before me had hell like I have I have a lot of help but they had like had, like it was brutal right so again to your point education is the key and I'm not just saying formal education but just knowing that oh I don't have to stand for this or you understand like, oh, I could sell a show if I've done 694 episodes of a show and I got paid this much. And then I talk to a friend. He's like, oh, yeah, I sold 10 episodes for like four million. I'm just saying I'm like what? Four million. I'm getting paid this much. Like education and information changes everything. So when, when the education and information aren't aren't free flowing and aren't circulating in certain communities, you start to see certain things like you start to see, you know, I have a friend who, who I think he works at, um, he does things with um, oncology at um, Jefferson. He's like, they can tell by zip code 
in the city the life expectancy. Right. Oh, for sure. Right? Like, oh, that's oh, that's in one nine one such such. Okay, fifty. Oh, one nine one. Oh, that's oh, they'll die of diabetes. That's fifty six. Like, if you knew that information, you probably wouldn't do certain things to your health, right? It's just putting the information out there in a certain way that we have to get to the people. It's 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 a it's a crime, man. It's a real crime. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day, and they had on one of the experts with healthcare's healthcare around the world. Right, this is a, a former oncologist who studies healthcare systems around the world. Um, and one of the questions that that was asked of him was, if you were Biden and you win the election four years and we give you $10 trillion to spend, where would you spend it on? Mm. And he said education. He said, because to, to what you were just saying, if you educate the people in those zip codes, they automatically become healthier they automatically aspire to do bigger things. And that's just, you just see the chart go up where they live longer, they're healthier. Because those neighborhoods that, you know, there's 48 kids in the class, well, education isn't looked at as a, a way out. It's a, it's a punishment at that point, yeah. right? That, that, that's, a, that's a pig in a pen, right? That's not, that's not a grass-fed yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, brain. That's a, you're in a pen, so it's, it's horrible. So then when you lash out, you're punished and you're, you're expelled and you're suspended. I mean, I went to Princeton High School and we saw this there. Like, wow. I was in the small classes because I have learning disabilities. So rather than teach you, you're put into those classes. I was one of two white guys. Me, predominantly black and Mex- and, and Guatemalan and Mexican. Mm. And, they, and I tell people all the time, I wouldn't change that for me because I got a huge education in those classes. But that was socially. I got a huge education. The actual education that was supposed to be given to them, that wasn't a real thing. Mm. That was a hangout room yeah. where the, the bad black boys went, um, where we kind of passed them. We got them the hell out of here as fast as possible. Yeah, it, it is. We, we, have to, we have to do better. We have yeah. to do better. Uh, but yeah, education is key, and we have to give it, you know, we have to, give it to certain communities earlier. Um, again, I remember growing up, you know, it's same thing. I live worlds away from a lot of my friends because I had a two parent household and my parents, my dad worked for the city, fixed traffic lights, and my mom worked in con- continuing medical education. So it was like always a job at, a, you know, at a hospital uh, for my mother, but they were on us, right? They were on me and, and, and my sister. But again, because outside was so intense, if my parents would have divorced, who I wouldn't even be right here. Like if, if, and then again, like if my parents had access to better education, we may not even be talking because I probably would have been a lawyer because I love to argue, right? <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's so layered and tiered. And you got to think, in my neighborhood, it was like, we were like, I told you, Tony, like, we were like the Huxtables of the hood, right? Like, we had like a patch of grass, and I had to like cut the grass, and my friends were like, and the street lights came on, and I had to go in the house. But across the street, like, I had friends, like, literally, like, across the street, I had friends who 
didn't live with their mom, right? And they didn't live with their dad. I'm not trying to give too much uh, about that, but friends died, friends in jail, you know, in and out of jail, death. Like that's that was normal. And because I, I grew up in a section of Philadelphia called Germantown, because we had grass in Germantown, people from North Philly and South Philly were like, they would minimize the trauma that you saw. Like, man, like y'all have grass up there, <laughs> down here. So then you start to think like, this is cool because like, okay, I had like three friends who got killed, not 20 friends or 20 people who I knew that got killed. So then you start to get, it's normal. It's normalized. Like, oh, okay, well, at least I only saw three people get killed and not 20 and I had it good. It's insanity. Like you, and then you bond with people off of dysfunction. It's like, oh man, R.I.P. to such and such. Oh man, I know, man, that's just messed up, man. I was, and then you, you, oh, I love that person. You would never say you love your friend while he's still living. Mm-hmm. It's insanity. It's just like these are the neighborhoods, and there's there's countless of these neighborhoods around the country that you feel like when you get out that because you didn't you didn't go to jail you know everything was fine and then you start to work and you start to talk to other people and you're like man you have a summer home man we never we never had then you start talking to people and you're like yeah i can't get my trust fund until i'm like what (laughs) there's a trust what's it what is that like it's like it's very different and i'm not saying every white person is living like this land of milk and honey but the access to certain things that just would like, I'm 41. Like I'm, I'm just getting, me and my kids are having some of the same experiences at the same time. Like my kids go to school and they have like 11 kids in their class, 12 kids in their class. I have to pay. Right. And it's like, I got to make sure just all these different, it's just, it's so layered. It's like an onion. And again, what's what's been able to happen because of, you know, George Floyd and us being able to sit down as a country, we're like, oh, my gosh, I I didn't even know it was this bad. Like, I just thought this was normal. I just knew I had to come in and talk to people a certain way and be nice. And, you know, hopefully things will work out. And even though when it, you know, it's man. I'm so close to this situation. That's why I'm, I'm a, I am gotta, I gotta, yeah, no, yeah. Get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's understandable. And, and Philadelphia is also one of those um, cities where if you haven't been there, you don't realize you can be going down one block and it's, you know, half a million to million dollar houses in three blocks. You, you go two blocks away and you're like, well, um, yeah, this is a different neighborhood. Yes. <laughs> so to what you're saying is you could maybe have something a little nicer, but a stone's throw away. There's people that have nothing. And that's the really yes. interesting part about Philly. Yes, it is. Yeah. Again, right? Like where Kobe Bryant grew up, uh, you know, there's a city. It's a city in the suburb. It's City Line Avenue. Mm-hmm. And it's literally like an invisible line. I know somebody who has, who made, I think they made a documentary about Germantown Avenue. Germantown Avenue goes from the suburbs of Philadelphia all the way down to North Philly. And it's very different as you go further south or maybe is it north or but you you go further down germantown avenue and even just in philadelphia from chestnut hill to north philly very different 
City Line Avenue in Philadelphia, you have some of the most, you know, highly toted private schools on the main line, like right off of, you know, Lancaster Avenue. And then you go five minutes down the road, it is, it's just two, wor- it's totally two different worlds. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's the real crime. That's one of the, the real crimes here, you know, in, in our United States that you can't get the same education as someone else because you don't have the same money or you grew up in a certain zip code. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are talking about. Uh, I think the COVID crisis brought it up, right, in, in very real ways that, that a lot of these exposing these, I mean, it's not like it's brand new, but the exposure is such that everything is in such stark relief now, right, that the people who are suffering from this crisis are um, disproportionately black, brown, and poor, right? And then the George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and the the unfortunate litany that has come even since those killings yeah. um, further exposes, you know, these, these uh, inequities. Um, one thing that I was hoping to maybe talk about, maybe we should make a transition to this, Tony, is, is political advice for, for, you know, our our would be leadership, right? For the for the Democratic Party. Oh, let's um, just go right into the party favors. You want to go first, Tony? Well, Q, let me just tell you what we do. So Ahmed and I give advice to both parties. With the Democratic Party, we give them advice, and then reluctantly we do it to the Republican Party just to make it fun. Okay. Um, no, you go first. Okay, okay. So I would say that uh, at this point we are creeping up on July, and Joe Biden is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> now... I don't know. I'm on the fence about this. On the one hand, every time he comes out, it's not great. Um, On the other hand, if you are going to be the candidate, I mean, you know, you've got to be able to have some sort of screen time. And um, and I'll reiterate, and this is is beating a dead horse at this point. But Tony and I have been saying you need to announce the VP. What is the holdup? How long did these background checks take, for God's sake? You know, I mean, like, come on. You know, it's it's ridiculous. So Biden, I think at least he should peep out a little bit from wherever he's, you know, um, hiding. Um, not too much, because he, if he talks too much, things go south. Um, but but then definitely the VP. Okay, I, I actually completely disagree with you on that one. Oh, wow. Okay. I think this. Trump is spinning. He's going bananas right now. All Biden could do is give Trump something to focus on, because like you said, if but when Biden comes out, he looks a little it looks a little like the marbles are falling out. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. that's what Trump does best is he takes a flaw and he spins it. And they why give him anything? He is right now facing a disaster in Tulsa, a disaster mm. with covid. Uh, the economy's tanking. Now, this new report where Russians are literally paying Taliban people to murder our soldiers. I, if I were the DNC, it's 
put him in his rocking chair and and give him a give him a tea and a biscuit. Yeah. Um, what I think needs to happen. This would be my advice. Obviously, the vice president announce it. I feel like it's going to be Kamala Harris. I feel like they're going to go with the obvious choice. I don't agree with it, but I'll get behind it. Um, I actually think the Democrats need to start putting other people out there and hit him hard on this Russia thing. This, all these good old boys down here that are fighting for Confederate flags. A lot of these people have kids in the military. This is bad. This is worse than COVID. This is worse than the economy for red states, one of which I live in. If this is true, which it probably is, this is his buddy. This is the guy, Vladimir Putin, that Trump tried to um, legitimize. And he is literally putting hits out on our fucking troops. That's what I'd be hitting him with all day. Yeah, that, that's insane. Can I, can I do a party for you? Yeah, 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 please. Yeah, we please. love it, yeah. Well, first of all, I, I saw that I, I'm stealing this from the internet. Don't let Joe Biden confuse you that we're still voting for Joe Biden, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I can care. I saw a video yesterday. It was it was insanity about Joe Biden? It was like a like a, a medley oh, yeah. of just like craziness. I'm still voting. I'm still voting for Joe Biden. Trump can come here and divorce his wife and marry Michelle Obama. I'm still voting for Joe Biden. I do think <laughs> we need to know who the VP is. Like, it, let's just let's fast forward the tape. It's July. November 3rd is around the corner. We need to know who who you're like who who's your person? Who's your who are your people? Again, when you go to a fight and it's like, "Hey man, we're going to beat you up." And you got like 10 people and they're waiting for you, and you know this one dude is really bad. And you're like, "You can't go there by yourself." Like people need to know like it's like wrestling WrestleMania. Like, "Who are your people? <laughs> who are your allies?" <laughs> Let us let us get excited about somebody again. I'm echoing Dwight from uh, I think it was a couple episodes ago, but please, we need to know who your who's your 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 VP. And it doesn't need, take this long. Yeah, we need to know a, a big part of the legitimate debate that's going to happen is who's debating Mike Pence, right? Because yes. Tim Kaine was a disaster, <sighs> and Pence actually looked kind of good. And this is this guy's nuts. Yeah. So. In that sense, I don't mind Kamala Harris. I think she'll dance circles around his ass all day. But there are other candidates, um, Susan Rice, Stacey Abrams, that mm -hmm. Ahmed and I have been screaming at the top of our lungs I really for. think it needs to be Stacey Abrams but did you because see this? all of the voter uh, suppression that's going on. Oh. I agree. But did you see this? Um, I never agree with Frank Bruni, but he did an op-ed in the New York Times about this, um, um, I think, congresswoman or senator who's a, did a Tammy Duckworth? Ever. Yes, who yeah. lost her legs, and she's yeah. a veteran. I mean... Yeah. That's not a bad move. It's, it's, I'm putting her on our list now, too, because you, you, put a, you put an amputee veteran woman who served our country up against any one of these morons. Yeah. You're gonna, and, and it's hitting with what I said with this Russia thing. I mean, this is going to take him down more than anything, I think, personally. And honestly, I think we just, people just need to vote. I, again, I don't, I don't know where uh, voting became like this sexy thing that we had to like hype people up to do. But because you didn't vote, I think they said uh, four million. Was it four million less from o uh, President Obama's uh, election? Where were you? This is what this is. Again, I, I was on with Senator. Uh, uh, what's his name? Senator Dwight. I think it's um, 
oh my goodness. But I was on I was on with this local senator here. Dwight it's not Dwight Evans. Oh my goodness. I see his face. But I was on with him and I was talking to him and I said, you know, it was like we had the Zoom call on Facebook and I said, this is what our parents were talking about, about not voting. Like, this is what can happen, right? I'm not going to say COVID wasn't going to happen, but all these different things that we're seeing in America that are so divisive, the, the economy is tanking. This is what they talked about because you didn't go vote. So I don't know, like... like Put out, I don't care who it is. Well, I do, but I really don't care who the VP is. Name the VP. We're voting for you. Tell us what you're going to do for the country to get this back on track and, and let's move forward. But like you said, we're not voting for you. We're voting against him. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Who you <laughs> exactly. <play>. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a lot to say about that, but we're, we're running out of and, time. I will just quickly say. And the senator was Senator Vincent Hughes. I apologize, Vincent, Vincent Hughes. Hughes. Yes. A lot of those people that didn't come out to vote, I do see their side of it, but. This pandemic and George Floyd, no one saw this coming, but no. I assure you, if George Floyd wasn't killed and the pandemic didn't happen, Trump was on his way to victory. So totally uh, life, you know, those people are pissed off about a lot of stuff. And I think now we are realizing, OK, I guess our vote does kind of count because the Supreme Court judges all, yes. ju you know, Trump's got over 200 judges, which are all maniacs. Um, so, yes. OK, um, moving on. Okay. This is the part of the show we end with and we hate. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the Republicans have got All right. Um, so I guess my advice would be um, that any glimmer of positive coverage that the administration is getting, they should glom onto right now. So the fact that Mike Pence recently pivoted a little bit away from Trump by saying, hey, maybe you should wear a mask in Texas. Um, and and somehow that is you know this great moment of enlightenment and you know he's like really sort of become a scientist really um, and 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 he he should they should ride that right because right now you know they have their thirty five to forty percent who's going to vote for them no matter what right mm -hmm. but that's not enough to push them over the edge and so they need to at least in appearance seem semi rational right they're not going to look fully rational but you know semi-rational they gotta fake it till they make it how about that right and they, they, they gotta they gotta do that um and if 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 they're able to do that i think it's a threat i think it's a threat to the the biden candidacy uh because people you know there was the, the new yorker did a, a great piece on how basically this uh town of greenwich connecticut very wealthy town uh that was you know republican but country club republican uh joined the Trump party, right, uh, which is the GOP these days, and how they, they had this sort of transformation. Um, so you need those people because they have a ton of money and they have influence and so on. If you lose those people, that's dangerous for them. But if they're able to pose as semi-rational that we still kind of have our feet on the ground, they might be okay, unfortunately. Mm. Um. Yeah, mine is, I, I read an op-ed that uh, Dan Crenshaw, um, for those of you who don't know Dan Crenshaw, he is the congressman in Texas who has the eye patch that the big thing on SNL where, you know, one of the comedians yep. made fun of him mm -hmm. and apologized, all of that. Um, Another veteran, right? That a veteran, a veteran uh, Navy yes. SEAL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like a ba total badass for yeah. sure. Um, but I, I follow a lot of these conservative guys on Instagram because I, you know, I like I like both sides. I like to hear the conversation. And 
his op-ed was about the statues coming down and how we need to draw a line, a hard line. Because where will it stop? God forbid Thomas Jefferson comes down. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't, couldn't deal with it. Um, I read the comments, and a lot of them are, when are we going to pick up our arms? When are we going to handle this, like our four founding fathers? And there's a really dangerous thing that I don't think is going to work, and it's pandering to the lowest... Uh, uh, lowest form of, of, of Republicans, and that's the violent, racist trash. Um, it's not working for Trump anymore. And as you could see by Tulsa, I don't think there's as many of those people as we thought. There's plenty of uh, levels of racism in this country, but the worst kind, the no mask, AK, Tulsa rally during COVID. I don't think there's many of the, as many of those as people thought. Um, I think the level of racism is slightly classier than that. <laughs> um, I hate to say it like that, but if you're going to try to pander to those people, you're going to have a short career. I think we're all kind of um, realizing most people believe the pandemic's real. Most people believe you should wear a mask. Um, and Texas is learning the hard way where he's a congressman, Dan Crenshaw getting shut down. Arizona's learning the hard way. Mississippi's learning the hard way. Louisiana is upticking again because you know everybody's got to go to the bars and laugh in each other's faces. Um, you need to separate yourself from those people. No one should be pandering to those people. And if you do, you're going to be put into the Trump uh, label for the rest of your career. And I don't know that that's going to help you in the future. Man, Tony, I have to disagree with you. Okay. I think... I know people that have asked me, do you know anyone that caught COVID? I'm like, yeah, I I do. And they're like, oh, this just seems like, it's just like a hoax. I'm like, no, it, it it's real, right? And I feel like just as passionate as, as we are, like I've never seen it, but this is like, I haven't seen it this passionate since like East Coast, West Coast. It's like Biggie Tupac right now. <laughs> like this is, this is like, and you have to choose a side, right? It's not like right. you can't go in like, no, I like all music. No, you have to go like, no, who do you like, right? And pick a side. Yeah, you have to. And right now, I know people who are on the other side, and I'm like, but you're home. You're home too with your kids, right? And the country is shut down because this is a real threat and black people aren't going to come and loot your house because you don't live in the inner city and you don't live there. You don't live at, you know, in a shopping district, like in the middle of a, a shopping center, like you're fine. Like it, it's not about you, but there are a lot of people that I know that's, I don't know why they feel like they can speak freely to me, but they do. And they're so passionate about being on the other side. So, of the COVID what, thing. Yes, of, of yes. the COVID thing. Uh, you know, the George Floyd thing is just like, uh, he had to do something wrong. I'm like, dude, you know I'm black, right? Like, you know I'm like, like I'm, I'm like a real black guy, right? So I just feel like I, my advice to the Republicans would be this. On November 3rd, stay home. <laughs> That's as good as <laughs> advice as I can give. <laughs> I would like for you to stay home and 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 play video games or d just do whatever you do. And guess what? This may come out 10 years from now. I'm like, oh, 
Quincy Harris says, I'm just saying right now we have to pick a side. We need we need Democrats to come out and vote. We need those four million people that didn't vote for, you know, in the presidential election in 2016 to vote November 3rd. November 3rd should be like that should be like our new Christmas. Yeah, we we really hope it does. I mean, yes. if we can keep this momentum, which is the world's ending, I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> but if it starts to get better, like COVID started to get better, uh, we're not a very disciplined country, and that's what we've also learned about ourselves. And, oh, for and sure. That when the when when the top and the coaches aren't disciplined, the team's not disciplined, and so I, I would agree with you. But I I think a lot of those people wouldn't want to be the first people in the movie theater. But we'll see. Yes. Um, I, I hope people get their shit together and they come out and vote and I hope you know like like we were talking last week with with Dwight um young people they seem a little different than we were they seem slightly different they sure. seem they seem a little more disciplined than than I was at that age yeah um, and maybe it's technology maybe it's the internet maybe it's just um the movement is inspiring them but yeah whatever it is if they can keep it up I wouldn't want to be a Republican if this is how it's going to be going forward. I would, I would be slightly terrified. Mm. Well, that's, I mean, that's the interesting political moment, which is, says so much about America, which is that it took this terrible murder for the American public to get on board with Black Lives Matter. And the pandemic. And I'm not yeah. saying that to take away from the murder. I'm saying that because white people were also stripped of things that had nothing to do with their color of skin had to do with the pandemic that yep. made them more sympathetic to what it's like having restrictions. George, George Floyd just allowed us to understand a little bit better, but let's not confuse the two. If the pandemic didn't happen and George Floyd oh. happened, this would have been Baltimore three years ago where we would start going, okay guys, I gotta get to work. Get these rioters out of here. Yep. Um, and I yeah. believe that very heavily. Totally. I mean, it's hard to judge. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm on the, on the fence about that. I mean, that the more I've come to this, this video was so polarizing that anybody who sort of tries to like rationalize that one um, is kind of really beyond, you know, because there's almost sort of bipartisan support here. Like, yes, that was bad. But then the Republicans like, but 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 not all police, you know, that that kind of argument. Right. Yeah. But um, I the one where the, the guy was strapped in a in a the front seat of the car with his baby in the back oh my god Philando yeah. Castile right I mean, no no I'm, I'm yeah. not and obviously I'm not, they're all I don't want to get in here saying which is look, worse but the little kid there, that just got killed with no, a violin there's no there's no yeah. I, I'm just saying in terms of the what we've seen to be the political response is that there's been condemnation uh, across the board from the political class of just this one right that you know even Mitch McConnell has said you know this was terrible and, and so on where all the other ones they're, they're like oh they must something must have been off right that that the, the cop did what they were trained to do and it was unfortunate outcome yes so, that I'll so this 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 is a little I think it's a, a, a little bit different but I think the di- I mean it's a damning diagnosis because the fact that it took this for the American public to come on board with Black Lives Matter to basically say yes, black people are humans, um, is outrage. I mean, it's it's a really, really and, uh, damning condemnation of of the ethics of this country. And I think it was it was a per- again. I think it was a perfect storm of if the country was open, we would have watched a little bit. And it's just wow, oh, that's crazy. That keeps happening. All right, and keep and we would have kept it moving. I think. 
everyone staying home, everyone being frustrated, everyone like no I think distractions. We, yeah, we've we've been able to I think all learn about just ourselves and different things that we would like to change just in our personal lives through the pandemic, right? But then you add George Floyd on top of that, it was yeah, who I would like to I would like to believe if George Floyd just happened on February 6th of 2020, people would have responded the same, but I I I kind of I disagree. Don't get because, sucked into yeah. the trap of, of giving white people that much credit. They don't deserve it. <laughs> We've never earned it. And I'll stop you right there. This we is could, true. We could talk to you all day, too, but we've already broken our rule of keeping okay. these under an hour. All right. Uh, because, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of stuff to talk to, and, and you know, we could listen to you all day, but uh, we'll have you back on another time. And we, Please. We are very grateful you came on, and hopefully, yeah, so much. hopefully we, we see some change. Yes. Well, thank you guys. Get, get money and education in Philly, Mike. Please, God, come on. We need it. There's more than just the Eagles, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, right before we leave, just really quickly, yeah. Amit, because Amit is a brown-skinned Indian man, when he goes to airports, so he doesn't get pulled over because they always pull him over. Amit, tell him what you do. I wear a Eagles like uh, muscle tee um, because <laughs> because this is the rationale, right? If I were New York Giants or the Yankees, like everybody's got New York, right? Yes. You could be anybody trying to get through, but Eagles, yeah. come on, right? That's that's he's one of us. Yeah. That's special. That's special. yeah, and it works. It's camouflage. <laughs> okay, well, good. Congrats. Yeah. All right, cute. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. All right, take care.